Thank you. Love that song. Simple and to the point, isn't it? I love it. Thank you, Terry. Choir, praise band, orchestra, soloists, all those folks that rehearse and give and are blessings to us. Good to see you this morning. And I saw a fellow New Yorker up there, Seth Rubenstein. Where is he? There you go. God bless you. God bless you. A lot of times when people ask me about different members of our church and different people that are here, so yeah, we even have some people that, uh, that are Jewish. How can you be Jewish and be a Christian? How can you not be a Christian and believe in Jesus if you're Jewish? Because it's the Jewish scriptures that tell us about the Messiah. And Seth is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all, two miracles, a Jew plus from New York. Come on, right? God good or what? Welcome this morning. Good to see you here today. I pray God speaks truth into your life today from his word. Welcome those who are watching our simulcast, whether it's in the western part of our state or along the coast or wherever you are. God bless you and welcome here today. Today we're looking at excuses. Excuses. I'll have to give some examples because there's no one in this room that's ever made an excuse, right? There's no one here that's ever made an excuse. But I'm going to look at some. I was looking at a survey according to Career Builder. Career Builder. See if I'm not going to have it. We may have a time of response at the end of this thing here. We'll see what happens. But according to Career Builder, 40% of workers took a fake sick day in 2017. A fake sick day. Well, I don't know exactly what that means, but uh, maybe you do. But I want to look at some of the excuses. Career Builder also did some surveys when they called HR departments. When they called people working in corporations to find out what are some of the lame excuses people give for either not showing up or for coming back or coming in late. And I found some of these rather amusing. This person called in and said, um, by mistake, I was locked up inside my house. I don't know how you do that exactly. Now, as a chaplain, I worked in a place where there were people that sometimes had to have some extra help. There were rooms with pads on them. And I don't know if this person's calling from such a room, but nonetheless, he's locked inside the house. Come on, that's pretty lame. Uh, This one's pretty interesting. I found it quite creative. Listen to what this person said of why they showed up late. My left turn signal wasn't working. No, that's not, that's not it, <laughs> but it is funny that's in itself. So I had to take all right turns to get to the office, and that's why I'm late. Now think about it. If you're taking all right turns, don't you just go in a square? Huh? I guess, I don't know. That didn't fly too. Don't, do not try that one tomorrow, okay? Don't, this one is interesting. This uh, person came back late from lunch, and remember, these are true stories people are trying to use. This person said they were kidnapped by aliens during their lunch hour. I didn't know Jack Daniels was an alien, but they said they were doing something that was not right during that lunch hour. Something was going on there. 
And uh, last but not least, this person didn't show up one day because, believe it or not, applied glue, mistaking it to be contact lens solution. What are you thinking? You know, other than making up some kind of a story or something, you know, imagine that. If your eye offends thee, pluck it out, right? Well, I'm sure that... Listen, I've left the contact lens in overnight before. Just then that would be something. Can't imagine everyone glued there, right? Permanent... Anyway. All right. Don't try those things at home. Excuses. We've all heard lame excuses for different things. Jesus today has excuses in two realms of humanity. The first realm will be people who have put off trusting him for their salvation. Excuses for not coming to a great banquet. In the second realm, there's people that are being addressed, you and I, who need to get out there and let people know the good news. So today, no matter if you're here today, and perhaps you have not put your faith and trust in Christ yet, perhaps you're just thinking like the commercial said um, that was shown on television a few days ago, where a man stood up there, And at the end of it, he said, um, lifelong atheist and not afraid to burn in hell. How many saw that commercial? Some of you did. It's been been picked up on social media, playing lots of times. I decided, by the way, because I was angry when I saw it and complained enough about it, and I still will, but what I decided to do, I need to pray for him. I want to see a commercial. He gets up there and he says, you know what? I was wrong. I put my faith and trust in Jesus, and you can also. Would you pray with me about him, that God would do that in his heart? That would be wonderful to see him stand before the nation and make a commercial for believers in Jesus instead of atheists. You know, I've often thought, what hope do you have if you're an atheist? What ha- what, why? What hope do you have? Well, they think there's hope in it, but there's not. All right, excuses, the great parable of the great, this parable of the great banquet. Jesus is dealing with the dynamic that every person here is familiar with, excuses. So today, you have to ask yourself, what's your excuse for what? For not being a believer? And if you are a believer, what's your excuse for not getting out in the highways and byways of life? In Luke 14, 15, the Word of God says, with one of those at the table, excuse me, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, to get this setting, keep going, going to the next slide. Thank you. Um, we see that Jesus was still at the feast of a prominent Pharisee. We see this in verse 1 of this chapter, just to get the context. It says, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being, what does it say, carefully watched. That's what kind of what happens when perhaps some of these young people here, you bring home that certain young lady or young man for the first time, and they're just kind of watching, right? Do they have good manners? Are they whatever? You know. But this idea has to do, they're watching Jesus because they want to see, what is he teaching? What is he about? Can we get rid of this bum? Can we get him out? People are starting to follow him. He's being carefully watched, so they invite him into this environment. Next slide, please. Thank you. Why does this Pharisee break out and say, blessed is the one that eats at this great feast? Why does he do that? Well, when Jesus mentioned the resurrection in verse 14, one of these Pharisees, they broke, he broke out in this praise. 
And Jesus knew it was on his mind. He knew it was on his mind. You see, to him being a Jew, right, Seth? He's right there. Being a Jew, thought only Jews will be this great banquet. There's not going to be any outsiders. There's not going to be any Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So one or the other. And outsiders, only Jews will be there. So he breaks out when he thinks about the resurrection and that great resurrection at this great banquet. And I, I will be there. Right? And so he breaks out of that. But Jesus knows the heart. He knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart right now, right now. Whatever you're thinking, whatever I'm thinking, God knows. He knows about excuses. And you may be here. You may be watching out there right now in a simulcast or in this room. And you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus yet. God will sum up in three excuses. You will fall into one of those categories or two or three of them. But Jesus will read your heart today for those that haven't met Christ yet. And for those that have, he'll read our hearts also. Bring up the next slide. So it says in verses 16 and 17, Jesus replied, a certain man, Jesus gives a parable. A parable is an illustration in words to tell us something about a truth that God wants us to know about. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. It says a great banquet is put there megalos on purpose. You know, this is just not some regular old thing. Come over, we're going to have a bowl of chili and some leftovers. This is a great banquet in that day and time. An incredible thing. A costly thing. All the preparation had to be done. And it says he invited how many guests? Many. Many are invited to this. Okay? At the time of the banquet, he sent servants to tell those who had been invited, had been invited. The invitation went out to many. Okay? Get this. Come, for everything is now ready. Many are invited. The invitation went out. It presupposes they'd at least accepted that because he tells his servant, go out and tell him it's ready now. You made a commitment. Come on. Okay. So what happens? He tells him everything's ready. Note, he invites many guests. We see in Matthew 7, 13. I already know. This gets into a lot of the philosophy of our world today in this verse right here. And you may find yourself in it today as you're listening. You may find yourself engrossed in this kind of, well, secular humanist thinking. But look at it. It says in Matthew seven thirteen, entered through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to, what does it say? And many enter through it. The problem with the broad road, the wide road, it is not labeled on the way to hell. It's labeled safety. And people get on it because they find safety in numbers. Well, so many believe, people believe so many different things. I'll be okay. I'll believe my own thing. I'll be okay. Broad-minded instead of truth-minded. And that's the problem. There's nothing wrong with being broad-minded about things that require broad-minded thinking. You have that in sports where someone might say, okay, you know, we need to run a defense like this, or maybe this is the best one we need to run here. You can be broad-minded with that when it comes to God. God doesn't need us to try and figure out 60 ways to reach him. He's already provided the way. And so every person stands before the wide gate. Every person that's ever lived stands before that. The way to eternal life, though, is very specific. 
There's two gates, there's two ways, there's two travelers, there's two destinies. Every person in this room, every person listening out there on simulcast is in one of two categories of these two people. Two gates, two travelers, two ways, there's two destinies. The word of God says, it's appointed unto man once to die and after this to judgment. It is two different ways. One leads to life, one leads to death. Listen carefully. Today may be your last opportunity to hear the truth about how Christ loved you, died and paid for your sins and rose again and offers eternal life. This may be the last day you will hear it. Now watch as we bring up this next slide. It says in verses 18 through 20, but they all alike began to make excuses. Many are invited, but what happens? When the invitation goes out through a church, okay, and contemporizing it, through a church, through a book, through a message, through social media, through a witness, through a friend, somehow, what happens? They all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The only legitimate one up to know it's not. <laughs> All right. So what happens? What's it about? Let's break it down as Jesus breaks it down. As he's talking to these people who are sitting around a table thinking they'll be the only ones at the banquet, only Jews, discounting you, me, anybody else that's a Gentile or an outsider is not going to be there. And he begins to tell this story, this parable. The first one, the first excuse is business. I just bought a field. I got to go check it out. See, there's nothing wrong with buying a field, is there? Nothing wrong with buying a field. I know a person that bought a field in... Uh, Grandview, Texas, 40-acre field. Great news was eventually when he was doing some, they were farming for natural gas in his area, and underneath his property was the largest natural gas reserve in North America. That was a good field, wasn't it? That's the kind of crop I want to grow, right like that. Grow up some natural gas and oil. He uses it for God. Now, he, he bought this field. Nothing wrong with getting the field. But God's supposed to be the center of a person's life. All else, what? Revolves around him. Men. Men. Talking to you first. God made us to be task-oriented and get the job done. Didn't he? Ladies, you may have noticed if you're married, your husband can be a tank when he's trying to get something done. Ding, 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 ding. Go. Running over stuff. Got to get back and work. Get it done. And it's good God made us that way. Otherwise, we'd be calling up and say, listen, an alien abducted me over lunch. I can't go back. Right? It's great. But business can become God. And what's going to get remembered 50 years and 100 years from now? Why I've said to people many times, make a decision today that 100 years from now will stand the test of time. And when you do that, it's quite revealing. I've had people sometimes say, but I'm not going to be alive 100 years from now. Yeah, you get the point? What's going to matter in eternity? Things done for God will matter in eternity. I have a little helmet in here today. This isn't from an actual player. 
because you can see the size, right? Except maybe fit on a little baby, wouldn't it? That'd be kind of cute. This one is signed by someone. I was living in South Florida when this team did this, the Miami Dolphins. They're having a great year, by the way. Mm-hmm. A great year. Yeah, I know I take a ragging. But anyway, this happened to be signed by someone back then. I was living there, down there at the time. It's signed by the quarterback, Bob Greasy. You remember him? So 17-0. How many, you know how many people weren't even alive in 72? If you weren't alive in 1972, raise your hand. Look around this place. Look, I mean, my, so that's the last time, I believe, a full season all the way through the playoffs. Some was undefeated. But that's almost 50 years ago. And a lot of you don't even know some of the people who played on the team. I know most of the people that played on that team got to hear some of them. And you know what made a difference in my life? Not that they were undefeated. That was good and that was fine. Some came to our Bible college and spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ. One was Norm Evans. There were people out there using it for Jesus Christ. And where you see people can be successful in life, and there's nothing wrong with being successful. Use it for God. You have guys like, like Tim Tebow out there. I mean, he gets a, a winning record, plays with it, and, and they cut him, right? He goes to baseball, he does that. He sells more jerseys and other stuff out there because he cares about the things of God. See, how do you know Tim Tebow? Why do you respect him? He used his talent and ability to give God the honor and glory. And by the way, in our world today... People like that get punished. There's a great quarterback down there. I mean, a great quarterback, another great player, they get punished for wearing a God headband. We wouldn't want that to hurt people. Be offensive. But they get fined for that. See, some of your friends, college students, high school students, may not like what you believe. They may find it offensive. But when you go with God and you believe in God and you stand up for that, God will bless you in that. Bring up our next slide. See, Jesus said, what, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What? I'll tell you what. They'll give every bit of time, their effort, their passion, all of it to be somebody. Right? I wanted to be somebody. I know some of you out there wanted to be somebody. I worked hard, practiced hard, much as I could like a nut. And I found out, it's always this, what have you done for me lately? Oh, they had so much potential. Oh, they had this. What have you done for me lately? And see, no one can sustain it. If you're fortunate enough, you may end up being a commentator, but where's the rest of the team? Where's all of that? Where does it go? You see, what happens is we can get so involved in businessmen that we forget the most important things in life. One of them is keeping Jesus Christ the center of your life. One's getting involved in small groups, discipleship groups, taking your family to church, being a witness where you are. We can lose it because all of us under the idea that sounds good, we're taking care of our family. Are you really? Or are you just trying to be somebody and have something? You see, if you're already a child of God, you already are somebody. Period. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? You name it. It can happen. And it's not just men, but I'm keying on men on that. Men, get it. 
If you don't have Christ yet and you're so involved in business, say one day I'll invite Jesus into my heart. One day I'll, I'll give some time and look into that. You may be wishing something that cannot happen because you don't know about tomorrow. There are people in this room just this past week that have been involved in automobile accidents. There's some right now in local hospitals that don't have much time. You don't know how much time you have. Bring up the next slide. You see, there's a danger. In Luke 8, 14, it says, The seed fell among thorns, stands for those who hear. But they go on their way, they are choked out by the worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Some may be in this room, and some may be listening right now. You made a profession of faith, maybe as a child, a teenager, maybe even as an adult. But you know what? If somebody looked at your life right now, they'd say, I don't see any joy in your life. I don't see any living for Christ in your life. Maybe your profession wasn't really a profession at all. Maybe you just had an emotional experience because nothing's going on inside of your life that's making a difference in the kingdom of God. You live the opposite of it. Why? Are they partying? No. The opposite of biblical Christianity is apathy. There's nothing happening for Christ because it gets choked out, falls among the thorns. Something comes up, it looks real, and it gets choked out. So I'm going to ask you a very transparent question. Has your zeal for Christ been choked out by the stuff? Has it been choked out and come up, it was real for you, and it seemed to just kind of dwindle, kind of appendage to life? Friend, it's not an appendage to life. It's the real thing. Being busy in our world has become the new synonym for lazy, busy, busy taking kids' places, busy running all over the place, busy in the things so we can live through our kids, make something happen, but not busy to where, well, we put the business of God's kingdom at hand. And parents... I just want to affirm you, if you're making a commitment to let your children have so many things they can do, that's great. But your calling in life is not to be a taxi cab driver or a limo driver. Your calling in life is to be there with your family and model what is right and true. And if you're not coming to a place of worship, not engaged, whether it's here or some other place, then you're not modeling what is best and what is right for your family. Because it's gotten choked out. Because you can get burned out. You can be about so engaged in your own needs, not trusting God to take care of the needs inside of you. It gets choked out. So that's the excuse. And that danger is, it may not have been a profession. Only you can look at your heart before God and say, did it get choked out? Secondly, second excuse. I just have bought five yoke of oxen. The bottom line is, nothing wrong with buying oxen, right? But... Where's Terry? Did you ever, I know you had to go plow with different, did you ever have to plow with oxen? No. But as I said before, the Adams boys and the Amish, the only people still using animals when you're growing up, plowing those fields. Things should not keep us from God. I've been to, some of you know this, and I really enjoy cars. I like old cars. I like new cars. I like cars. Some of you out here like cars. I go to car shows. I look at the different ones. We can talk about what's that got in it, what's that. Love original cars, like fixed up cars. I just like cars. But sometimes you'll go to those shows and you see a trailer coming. It's enclosed. I think it's even a climate control tra- trailer, right? 
And they take a car out of a climate-controlled garage, put it in this enclosed trailer, bring it to the car show, back, put it in neutral, push it off there so you don't have to use any gas or put any uh, smoke around the car, push it in their spot, and people go, oh, that's beautiful. And then they put it back in the trailer and put it back in the garage. Sounds like church, doesn't it, sometimes? <laughs> right? We're the car. But I, you know... A dealer last year, I bought a car out of Sarasota, Florida, Florida, almost two years ago. The dealer called me after you. Just want to see how the car's doing and everything. I'm sure you don't use that thing much. You keep it inside, keep it. I said, I use it every day. You see, the people that had it had it in a seven-car climate-controlled garage. I mean, it's 16 years old now. But I, what am I waiting for? You know the old saying, I don't even buy uh, ripe bananas. I get whatever. Or unripe ones. I just, what are you waiting for? Enjoy it. Have it. If the thing owns you, then it's no good. And some people want, I can't take it out. I can't use it. I want to use it. Use what you have. Don't let it own you. This person had some stuff. They owned it. Luke 21 34 says, Be careful. Your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness. And look at this. And the anxieties of life. The anxieties of life. Then take care of it. Don't want to get. Listen, I park away from stuff. I want to take care of it and I keep it clean. But it's not God. And it's not going to put inside my casket. I'm not going to have it and drive it up here or wherever God has me and say, look, look how good Carrie took of that thing. Nobody cares. You know what they care about? They care that you made a difference in their life. They care that you invested in the kingdom of God. That's what your children care about. That's what your friends care about. And more importantly, that's what God cares about. See, because if you must fail at something... Fail at something that has, well, that will eternally, eventually succeed. Fail at something that has eternal success connected to it. Don't succeed at something that will eternally fail. And a lot of people are succeeding at things that will eternally fail. They have their records, they have their stuff, they have their business, they have their five yoke of oxen, whatever it translates to in life. And they missed out on making God God because that became involved in the anxieties of life. Take care of it, going to have it, whatever. When I had my convertible, people said, Pastor, aren't you worried someone gonna, can cut the roof and, and steal your car? I said, no, I'm not going to worry about it. I pay people to worry about that. They're called insurance companies. I'm not going to worry about that. Let them cut, get a new roof. Praise, I hope someone come and cut. No, it's, no. it's all stuff. And if something hadn't happened to you to point out the fact that you are a temporal being and you're leaving this place sooner or later, it puts a perspective on everything because death is totally unprejudicial. So Jesus is explaining to these people, there's someone that says, no, I, I, I bought a field, I've got business. Someone else says, well, I've got stuff, I've got to go check it out. Excuse number three, I just got married so I can't come. Okay, here's a toe-stepper, right? He was too wrapped up with his family. So how could you be too wrapped up with your family? I'll tell you how. Your family's not supposed to come before Jesus Christ. And if it comes between you and Jesus Christ and the standards of Jesus Christ, you either have to decide, I'll compromise that or I'll do what God says. And sometimes that means your family may not like you. Maybe to your face they will, maybe not. They may not like you. 
I'm going to put my family first. I got married. I can't come. It's about family. I'm married. Look, I'm going to put up the highest ideal of relationships you said, God, and use that as an excuse. No, you're not. See, marriage is ordained by God. However, it's not to be put before God. Neither are family relationships. They all come first. Jesus said, anyone doesn't come to me and hate his mother, his father, sister, brother, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, he doesn't mean hate them. He means in comparison to who he is. Your love for God should be so great that compared to that, everything else seems like hate. He is first. But I will tell you in our feeling world that many people won't go that way because they're Maybe if I just do it this way, maybe if I just do that, they'll come and they'll get to know you. Sometimes you have to put a a line in the sand and say, no, this is how we do it and this is what we are. And even though it would grieve me, I want to do what is right, period. And some of you know that was part of my testimony. You have to make a decision. Where will you fall in life? Because our own minds want to fool us to think, well, if you stand up for God with your family, then maybe they won't, they won't like you or respect you. It'll be the opposite. You stand up and God will do that. You see, God's looking for people who want to stand up for him. When push comes to shove, you have to make a choice. God is always first no matter what. Business, stuff, family. He's always first. Now, there are principles that guide that. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes down to one or the other, Every person in this room will fall in one way or the other. And the fact is, some people will not believe in Jesus. Do you know why? They say, well, my family always believed it. And I've heard this before. My family always believed it. My ancestry always believed it. So this is what I believe. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Trust me, friend. If you're watching out there, you're sitting right here. If your family never did trust Christ as a Lord and Savior, and they died, I'll tell you what they want you to know today. They want you to know what I'm telling you right now, that Jesus Christ loved you. He paid your penalty for sin on the cross. He died in your place because heaven's going to be a perfect place. Our sin removal couldn't come because we could do it. God had to do it, and he did. He died in our place, rose from the grave three days later, and offers eternal life by his grace and mercy as a gift for you to receive or to reject. And you cannot even say, I never knew that until just, you, you may be able to say, I haven't known that till now. But if you've heard it, you know it. Religion is man's way to get to God. Salvation is God's way. So this guy gets wrapped up, use the excuse of family, ancestry, busyness, whatever. And I'll eventually get to God. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ yet, there's three excuses right there looking all of us in the face. Business, you're looking at stuff, and you're looking at family. You're going to be somewhere in the nuance of that or right in the middle of it. What would prevent you? What would prevent you from trusting Christ today and hearing the good news? You're invited to a banquet. And those that receive that invitation can come. Those that don't, can't. Next slide, please. Thank you. So it says in verse 21, 22, the servant came back, reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. God has a righteous anger. He invited many, many people and then began making excuses. Do you realize God has, he has anger? He's angry at that. And he ordered his servant, go out quickly. Redouble your efforts into the streets and alleys of the town, bringing the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. These next few months, 
we put some emphasis on some things we do here, just reaching people. Our fall spectacular is free to the community. Feeding the 5,000 coming up next month, we do that. We want people to be blessed. We want people who believe in Jesus to say, we want to bless the community. And so we do things like that. Christmas spectacular is the same thing. If someone can't afford a ticket, we get it for them. There's no one who could ever say that they, they couldn't come because they couldn't afford it. We'll pay for you to come. want you to come. But even when he goes out there to those that have apparent needs, some still don't come. Bring up the next. Thank you. Redouble your efforts. Everyone I told about this isn't coming. Go out there and get in these other people. These other people. And it's a statement to us. Bringing the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. You know, sometimes, you, and I've served in different churches, there's people who have all kinds of issues in life. This isn't the club where you have to jump over a certain bar to be somebody. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you already are somebody. Okay? You already are. You'll never be more than that. There's not some other achievement you can make that's higher than that. But God wants you to use your life for him. Period. That's what it's about. And it says, you know, many times those that have those needs, they're evident. But what? Not so with those with no perceived need. But some may be out there and say, well, I'm not blind. I'm doing great. I'm doing all right. I don't need God. I don't need a crutch. You ever heard that? You know what? When people say that to me, I say, yes, you do. But it's not a crutch. It's a savior. Because you can't work your way to heaven. And no one goes down a hospital floor and sees all the people after surgery have to get around with that and say, you people need crutches. Do you know why they do? Because they were broken and they need healing. When Christ saves you, though, he takes the real crutches away from life. The business, the stuff, the family relationship, and you put your faith and trust in him. Then he props you up. That's the difference in biblical Christianity. Now look what verse 22 states. There was still room. After Jesus sends them out to the highways and byways, say there's still room. So what does the master do? Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so my house will be full. Make them come in is not physical compulsion. Don't compel them physically and make them come in. That's why we don't stand on Lawndale Drive and people out there stopping cars and dragging people in. Make them come in or make them come into the kingdom of God to your Bible study or discipleship group. It means compel them with persuasion. Compel them with your testimony. Compel them with the grace that comes through you. But try to compel them to do it. Do it quickly. Get out there and do it. Make sure it happens. When you do, then they'll see the gospel on someone's flesh and bones. The Lord demands a double strenuous effort. And we're living in times more than ever that require that. We have a generation growing up that doesn't understand about biblical authority. They've lost sight of the fact of what family is and what life is about, what the Word of God is about, God of grace and creation. Got to stand. We need to pray for our students that are out there, these college students, these high school and middle schoolers, even elementary. They're growing up in a world that does not believe what you believe. And if you want to see that change, rather than throw a a stone into darkness, model it at home. Model it by how you spend your time in business, with your stuff, and with family. 
put that family dynamic first about the spiritual things of God. See, it says, he told us, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Sometimes, sometimes we can just get spiritually lazy and apathetic. You can get caught into a funk that'll bring you down. The devil doesn't care what brought it about. He's just glad you're there. He's glad you're in apathy, and he wants you to be satisfied just to show up, fill a seat, and be gone. Because you can look at yourself and say, well, I'm better than most other folks that are out there. But I say to you, God holds you to a higher standard than that. If he's given you some ability, if he's given you some kind of uh, a way that you can touch people, use it. Because everyone in this room has gifts and ability. It just depends on what you're using them for. Bring up this next. Okay, there isn't. There you go. He says, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The world doesn't like it, but I'm going to say it. There is no second chance. There is no second chance for redemption. There's no second chance after you die to get into the great banquet. He tells them very plainly, and it's a tragic pronouncement. Rejectors are excluded. There is no second chance. Jesus said in Mark 10, 15, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And friend, I can say to you today, if you're watching out there right now, think about this. What is the faith of a little child? It's using a specific word here. It's a child before they become too smart for you to be their parent, right? But it's amazing when you get older, your parents get smarter, don't they? Right? They, when they start paying the power bill, they turn lights off. They pick up their own tools. That are in, they, they learn something. Well, you hope that they do anyway. Well, the bottom line is a little child believes what you tell them. They're not looking for arguments. Well, Dad, I know you, 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 you don't want me to play in the street, but can you explain to me what a car will do if, it, if that bumper does hit me? Because they have, they have a, a, an impact you know, place in there. Maybe it won't hurt me. Could you explain that to me? No, children just believe. Okay. Now, they get a little older, they do disobey. Henry's saying that. I had children, trust me. They still disobey. But anyway, the bottom line is children absorb and believe. They want to believe. God made them to want to believe. And Jesus said, unless you receive me like that, bring your questions, yes, but at least bring them to me. I will save you. You don't have to have all the answers to become a born-again Christian. What you have to have is faith in what Christ has already done. So, in those categories, two categories, number one, if you haven't received salvation, the gift of eternal life yet, you can make a decision today in just a moment. You can pray in the privacy of where you're sitting or in your home, wherever you are, and say, today, Jesus, I understand. Heaven is going to be a perfect place. I can never earn my way there. No religion provides that. There's only one way that your Bible says that you did it all. And that's what Jesus Christ did. God who came down, took on flesh, loved us and died for our sins. Died in your place. Did for you and me what we couldn't do for ourselves. He paid for all of our sins so we can stand before him righteous or perfect. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, if you today, by faith, say, Jesus, as best I understand, I want to put my faith and trust in you. Not a religion, not this church, not this pastor, but, but what you have said. I trust you as my Lord and Savior, the only way to heaven. He will save you today. He will do that. 
because you had faith like a child. You came to him. If you have questions, bring that with your salvation. I had lots. Bring it with you, but don't hesitate because no one knows about tomorrow. Do that. That's for that group of folks, for the group of folks in this room that already are believers. You can be 17 and 0. You can make all the greatest accomplishments in the world. And t- enough time will pass that people won't even know your name. They won't know who you are. And they won't even care that you accomplished some great thing. And I've known some athletes over the years that have accomplished great things. People don't know it. But what they will know, and where God wants to bless your life, is you can be undefeated with him if you'll take him into your life. I'm not saying you'll you'll never have a hard time or a, a place that's a bump in a road. You can. But God says, get back up. Pick yourself back up and get on the road with me. Then you'll be doing something that even if you think you've failed at something that has eternal value, you won't have failed. The only people that fail is when they succeed at what is only temporal. And there's a lot of people that are trying to succeed at the temporal and do nothing for God. Today, as pastors come forward right now, it's a time to respond. I have, as we had a few weeks ago, some Be a Guest of cards. You know, in Guest Central, I've met some folks in Guest Central that have had those cards given by you. I passed out one and someone to a server this past week. Be a guest of. Servers are great. A lot of them work weekends. Pass one out. They're up here. We have a couple of thousand up here. We've passed out 5,000. Get, get one or two. Get five. People can hand them to you, but it's a time to say, yes, I want to try and connect. It's, it's just an open door. But I don't want to give a message and not get something that's not tangible to connect. You can take one of these, and it's very simple. A friend, co-worker, someone in your school, say, hey, write your name on there. Put your cell phone on it. Say, look, if you want to come, I'll meet you at the door. That's what happened last week. Be a blessing to people. Invite them. Reach out. Yes, it'll develop from there. What if I don't know where? What if they ask me stuff? What if they do? Praise God. Use it. Begin to use your life to get out into the highways and byways because Jesus said, that's what I value. Stop valuing what's going to only fail and value what's not going to fail. Just an opportunity as a pastor, I just want to place something in your hand that you can make a touch with. I know many of you took some the last time. Take another one. Get out there and do it. Secondly, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today is the day God's calling you to receive the gift of eternal life. It may be the last time you hear it. It may be. Don't wait. Do that today. If you have questions, I'd be glad to meet with you. Our pastors will anytime. But get that settled between you and God today. Don't mess with it. Life, life is fleeting. And today, if you don't have a church home, we are looking for people that want to be part of this local assembly. Why? We want to make a difference in our city. We're praying for God to do some great and mighty thing, but it's going to take people who are connected to him, not just suiting up, showing up, taking it on campuses, which a lot of these students are doing, high school, college campuses, and workplaces. We want God to do a work. We'd love for you to come as a candidate for membership. There's a discovery class going on right now, and a new members class will start again next month. You come today. I'm going to ask you to stand. 
please don't wait. Come and get one, two, five, ten of these cards. They're all up here and there's on the balcony. They're on those tables up there.